Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. I'm sitting here with Brian Bahari, who is an ANSA resident. He's a founding member of the High Country Conservancy. And uh, Brian tells me that he also is a, a grower of um, grapes at his property. So that's what we're going to be talking about, Brian. Well, thank you. Thank you, Annika. I'm honored to be here at uh, FICA. 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 Pardon me. FICA. That's uh, kind of a dazzling name to it, so ring to it. But anyway, yeah, hoping to uh, just sort of talk about uh, some of the, uh, the startups happening here in the valley as far as growing uh, wine grapes. Um, several, uh, several small, I wouldn't even call them small, I guess I'd call them nano wineries uh, in the region just uh, uh, right now just uh, starting to really uh, gear up uh, operations, planting some test vineyards, trying to see what what varietals work best up here um, in this microclimate uh, within Anza, and then even sub microclimates within uh, uh, within that part of Anza. So, um, uh, well, I know there's uh, some other growers too that that might have a year or two ahead of you in terms of uh, establishing their vineyards, and their um, you know high elevation. I think is one of the factors that they they refer to. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, we all of us up here we're you know we're not many of us up here so we're a pretty tight-knit group and we all collaborate and test each other's wines and talk about different winemaking methods and growing methods and whatnot but uh, um, really you know uh, my wife and I uh, Mara we we call ourselves uh, the high chaparral so we're located in the in the Terwilliger area down there uh, near Ramsey and uh, Dirt Terwilliger uh, around the corner from us is another uh, small vineyard, um, uh, Jordan Ranch Vineyards. Uh, they just uh, have uh, several test plots that they're they're uh, looking at. As a matter of fact, uh, I know uh, uh, Pat Jordan. Uh, we're working uh, collaboratively with her, and uh, um, she's uh, making some wine for the first time this year. As are we. And then uh, I think the biggest one really is uh, that most people notice is, uh, uh, well, there's two of them actually up off of Baptista. There's uh, uh, Rancho del Sol, uh, which uh, Ed Wall uh, owns, and he's been around probably the longest. I think he's been close to 10 years, if not more, and um, he has quite a large piece of property, and he has uh, uh, two vineyards. Uh, uh, in different areas of the property for different microclimates and he, he grows uh, a number of varieties and has had success uh, with most of them um, including some white varietals and then uh, up from him is uh, Thomas Mountain Vineyards um, they've been around I think for about five or six years now anyone's been up in the north part of uh, Batista there where it turns uh, 
turns to the west, uh, on the right side you'll see Thomas Mountain and they're, they're probably the largest vineyards and um, um, but I don't uh, know that they uh, make wine other than for their own uh, consumption or, or mainly as a hobby or mainly like I say to, to test the, uh, the area up here and see See how it sticks. Yeah, see how it is for uh, uh, wine grapes, and uh, there are some challenges up here. You know, uh, we we do differ quite a bit from from the areas in Temecula. Um, down there, they're at about fifteen to eighteen hundred feet elevation. We're at four thousand feet up here, so we have to really, especially this time of year, be careful of a, a late frost that can really uh, do a quite a bit of damage to a. A vineyard says uh, if, if, if anybody has noticed uh, as you're driving around you see vineyards they're all starting to leaf out right now and the um, the grape buds come out about now and if they endure a, uh, a hard frost they they're actually done for the season they'll they'll uh, get burned and and fall off and um, you're not going to get much uh, or if any grape production and that's your only chance it's a one-time flowering so one time they don't reflower, um, you know. Once once the buds are out, so uh, you know, pretty much um, between uh, you know a few weeks before Mother's Day and then until about uh, uh, a week or two after Mother's Day is when you know we're really just watching closely. Uh, got some temperature gauges out there, make sure we're not getting too too um, cold in the winter or at night time rather. And uh, so, you know, it's a little bit of a nail-biting time, but uh, once we get past this time, the, the grapes just do their thing and um, just really concentrate, uh, you know, between now and about, uh, oh, late July on, on growing the vines, training the vines, having already, already pruned them. And then after that time when the grapes uh, undergo what we call verasion, which means they, they basically turn color from the, the green you know, the unripe green color to whatever variety they are, whether they're white or red, that's when you then concentrate more on the grape quality. Uh, you vary the, the, the watering patterns, um, have to look out for uh, funguses or leaf leaf rot, leaf molds, um, stuff like that. And, and then, of course, you always have to constant fight with the, uh, the elements and the, the critters, right. the birds and, and uh, squirrels that, that like, unfortunately, they like grapes, not wine. If they, if they would go after the wine, I'd happy, you know, be glad to put a bottle out there for them. But they want to eat the grapes. Yeah. You, so. yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you. Uh, first of all, I don't recall ever seeing a flower on a grapevine. Do they need a pollinator, or are they self-pollinating, or how does you know, that work? They they self-pollinate. The, the clusters themselves uh, have their own. Stomas, or, which they pollinate, so they don't—they're not—they're uh, not dependent on uh, you know bees or anything for for pollination. They they do self-pollinate um, um, amongst the cluster, so that's why you don't get um, cross crosses between grapes and whatnot that you might have in the same vineyard. So, okay. Yeah. So my next question then is the uh, soil. So in Temecula, in the Temecula Valley, are they growing in the same soil type as what we're doing up here? Some areas, you know, it's a, they have uh, uh, variances down there just as we do up here. We vary from very sandy soils, uh, sandy loam, which has more silt in it, to uh, um, part of our vineyard is in very clay soil. It's uh, 
Um, so, you know, um, you have to really kind of, um, I don't know if people know, but um, almost all grapes are grafted onto rootstock. Okay, and the reason for that is there's a, a, a pest up here that, uh, that attacks the, what they call the noble varietals that were brought over from Europe and it will attack the, the, the roots and uh, so they're grafted onto the native uh, uh, rootstock of the Americas and um, which are more resistant to this pest. It's, uh, and, um, okay. Is that a, like a, a root fungus or? Okay. It's actually a, a variety of what they call uh, rots. There's a black rot and there's a, a uh, what they call a, a bunch rot, but it's basically a, a small organism in the soil that attacks the roots of the plant. And the, the native rootstocks are, are resistant to this rot. Uh, but uh, I guess I got off track here, but the reason you, you when, when you graft, there's different rootstocks that have been bred for different soil types. So you, you do have to kind of know your soil type to when you order the vines from the, um, the growers, uh, you specify okay. a, a specific rootstock for your type of soil, uh, which best suits the plants. But, uh, but grapes typically, you know, they, they can take uh, very harsh soils. They, they like to struggle. Um, they have, you know, their roots are very vigorous growers, so they can ward off things like gophers and uh, other, other um, Okay, I was going to ask you about the, uh, because most gardeners up here pretty much give up after a while. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, you gophers, and, they, and they'll, you know, you, you'll, you'll have several hundred plants, and I have, uh, High Chaparral has about uh, close to 400 vines, and every year we'll lose a couple to gophers, and you just replace them, so uh, it's just an ongoing battle, but uh, that's, just, that's just the way it is. But, uh, but you know, if, if you have the right rootstock and you have, for your soil conditions, it shouldn't be much of an issue. They should be able to recover. So. Now, they're really long-lived, if I'm not mistaken. I know that in, in Europe, the, the vineyards that are established there, you're talking 100-year-old uh, vineyards. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they live uh, extremely long. I think there's a, an older vineyard around the corner from us. I can't remember the location, but they've got uh, vines that are uh, 50, 40 and 50 years old. Uh, now they have And they're still producing? No, because they haven't been uh, attended to, they haven't been pruned properly, oh. they've just kind of gone wild. But, but you know, if they, they, have, have, they have trunks, you know, the, 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 the maybe uh, six, eight inches in diameter, very large, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, it, if, if you don't prune them properly and you don't uh, uh, attend to them properly, they'll, they'll kind of revert to their wild nature and produce more leaf and vine than they do grape, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think now is the season to be collecting the grape leaves anyhow. If you were if you were Greek and be making dolmadas, that's what you'd be doing now, yeah. from what I understand. Yeah, I've, I've had plenty of that. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer to grow the grape leaf and not to eat it. But, right, uh, they're multi-purpose. <laughs> so, um, okay, so it, here we are, it's now April and May, mm -hmm. and so there's they're setting, uh, I don't remember the name that you used, but they're setting the, the, the grapes, the, the, yeah, the, buds. the nodes, the yeah, buds. The buds yeah. And how long until it becomes harvest time? You know, again, it just depends on what kind of season you have, but typically, um, um, around um, 
mid-August is when you start uh, really uh, monitoring the, the, the grape, the individual grape clusters and the grapes themselves. You, um, you After they undergo verasion, when they change color from the unripe green to either the yellow color for whites or the deep reds uh, for the for the red grapes is when you start monitoring them and you go out into the vineyard you randomly collect samples and smash them up and um, test things like the pH the amount of acid uh, in the in the juice from the grapes and uh, the sugar content is is the most important or what they call the bricks uh, so uh, BRIX is a is a term for the sugar content of the grape so it's really a you know a lot of people who are in the wine see where there's these massive vineyards and they have to you know collect the wines or excuse me uh, they have to harvest the grapes within a matter of a, a day or two because the 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 chemistry of the grapes can change just that quickly with with weather and it's very rapid and you have to get the correct balance of bricks or sugars to acids for the wine to come out properly so yeah, it's, it's it's you know which explains why certain years you have good ones and certain years you don't. Absolutely, or? yes, absolutely. You know, the, you know, there's the old. It's not so much anymore because the the, the management of the grapes has uh, has become um, so mechanized and and is monitored so well. But uh, yeah, you you do have definitely have good years and bad years. But for the most part, it's just um, you know if you don't have the right chemistry of the grape, then you have to supplement with with uh, certain things like a sugar. If your sugars are low, you just add uh, raw sugar. Um, or you might have to add um, acids um, um, to the must of the grape before fermentation to get that balance. And, and the acid's important. It's what kind of gives the wine that, that pucker uh, sort of reaction when you drink it. You know, too much and your, your mouth puckers up and then not enough and it's it's just too smooth. You can't really taste the the, the flavors in the wine. So um, you know it's it's really critical. Um, but uh, yeah, typically uh, you start monitoring in August, and um, the hardcore harvesting happens uh, anywhere from mid September to um, as late as October, just depending on um, what's happening at the end of summer, what type of weather we've been having. Um, it, you know, just uh, they can change very rapidly, and there's just certain environmental cues that cause these grapes to, to change. So it's it's um, you know, when you get near the end, there it can be daily monitoring of, of the grapes, and it's, it's it's quite interesting. You have to go out in the vineyard and randomly select grapes, so you're not being selective about what part of the cluster you're you're sampling from, or what what uh, uh, what plants you're you're sampling from. But you just um, it's it's a real delicate balance. So. And so you don't plan a vacation at that time because it sounds like you need to be there almost daily and it's like, oh, we're harvesting or it's like, no, we got to wait a day or two and, and absolutely. You know, we just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not the time to go gallivanting around and come back and, and you know, because once, once the grapes uh, passed uh, their, their proper chemistry, say if, you know, typically what happens is you have high acids early in the in the in the at harvest time and low sugars, and the, the grapes are the grape plants are converting those acids into sugars, so the acids are coming down, and the, the sugar levels are going up, 
Um, once your sugar levels go too high, um, or your BRICS levels goes too high, that, that directly relates to how much alcohol you're going to get out of out of the wine. So, you know, typically we, we target uh, an alcohol rate of between um, 13 to 14% alcohol. And that uh, roughly equates to about the double amount in BRICS. So a, a BRICS level of 26 is generally going to produce an alcohol level of uh, 13%. Um, uh, a BRICS level of 28 is going to uh, produce a wine of about 14% uh, alcohol. That's, that's what happens during fermentation. The yeast is converting that sugar to alcohol and depending on how much alcohol it has. So if, if, you, if you let it go too far, you're just going to end up with too high of an alcohol content. The, 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 the wine is going to be balanced and you're stuck with possibly trying to make a dessert wine out of it, which, which we do. You know, <laughs> okay, you know, because it happens. It happens, and then at which time we fortify it with even more sugar to get um, a very high alcohol content, which most dessert wines have. So, okay, are you talking like grappa? Or? No, not grappa. Okay. That's a that's a grappa is distilled. It's a distilled beverage. It's basically oh, okay. a, a, a dessert wine. Just has a, a higher alcohol content, and then you, you actually fortify it at the end with with uh, grain alcohol and then also sugar to get the, the, the sweet taste of it. So it's, um, uh, uh, Rancho del Sol does quite a bit of dessert wines, or he's, uh, Ed's done quite a bit of, of uh, dessert wines that have turned out really nice. He's, and and some ports yeah. also, yeah. Yeah, so okay. it, it's, uh, you know, it just depends on what your, your flavor. Uh, at the High Chaparral, we stress reds. Um, we're growing right now, we're growing uh, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, Syrah. And then a brand new varietal that we've just put a test plot in for is a, it's actually an old varietal that was kind of forgotten about and it's, it's, it's gaining a lot more interest in California. It's a varietal called uh, uh, Alicante Boucher, which um, um, it's, it's, it's just unique in that it's a red, it's a red uh, wine grape, but it actually produces a red juice um, at harvest. Uh, most people don't realize that red grapes, even though the skin is red, the juice that comes out of them is clear or slightly yellowish. And it's at fermentation that they get the color because you leave, you let it ferment with the skins and that's how the, the, the wine gets the red color. And this varietal is actually red straight from uh, after you crush it. So. Oh wow, that's an interesting fact. Yeah. I never knew that. Now yeah. I'm a red wine drinker and a red grape eater. Yeah, yeah, that's how they do a lot. A lot of wineries now are are coming up with varietals like they're doing uh, uh, white merlots. Um, um, you know, even though you, something that's been around for a long time is a white Zinfandel. Well, Zinfandel and white Zinfandel are the same grape. It's just that when they when the, the grape clusters are crushed. Uh, to do a, 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 a white Zinfandel, you, you, drain the, the, you strain the uh, juice off the skins immediately and then, and then ferment it. And to do a regular Zinfandel, you ferment it with the, the skin still in there and that's when you get the red tannins and the, the red pin, pigments into the wine. So. Oh goodness. Yeah. So let me just take you back just a little bit back to the growing phase. And I know that down at the, the lower elevations, again in Temecula and, 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 and those areas, that they grow uh, roses together with their, their grapes because it's an indicator 
um, a, a fungus or a mold that's going to come onto the grapes. So they seed first on the rows, then they know they need to treat the grapes. Are we having that problem up here? That, or are we uh, too dry and, and desert-like up here so we don't have to worry so much about that? Well, you know, there's there's really a kind of a, a different trains of thought on that. Um, you know, generally, uh, root or excuse me, uh, roses are susceptible to a lot of the same rocks that the grape vines are susceptible to. So that's why a lot of times you see at the end of the rose they'll plant a rose bush, and if uh, they're actually a little more susceptible. So if the the roses are starting to have a, a bad time, the, the the vineyard owner might get an alert that something's going on and to start monitoring for it but uh, um, the I think the particular um, um, pest that you're talking about it's actually called a, a phylloxia it's a small nematode and it, it's it, it actually is, is what feeds off the the roots and in the in the lower elevations um, it survives in the soil and it survives the, the cold winters it, because the winters aren't as harsh up here we have quite cold temperatures and it doesn't really affect the grapes themselves because they're dormant they they're they okay. after the harvest they lose their leaves and they it's just the the vine that's left and and um so they can survive the very harsh you know 10 12 degree nights that we sometimes get up here but this this particular uh, um, pest cannot so there are many vineyards that are getting away with with planting their own rootstock because that's what they feed on. They feed on the rootstock from the, the European varietals rather than the uh, the American uh, or, or North American varietals. So, so there are people who are in Iowa and at the High Chaparral we have a, a, a small vineyard that has its own rootstock um, and they have, they have been no issues because of the harsh winters. So, okay. Yeah. Now the birds yeah. Tell me about how do you handle the birds when <laughs> when everything is just ripe for the pickings. Yeah, birds are, uh, yeah, they're probably the biggest problem. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, some, some, some of us vineyard growers really know that our, our grapes are getting near harvest when the birds start attacking them. So they're, 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 they're a pest, but they're also an ally sometimes. They can tell us that, hey, that, you know, grapes are getting close. They're, they're, um, I guess they're grape connoisseurs, but, uh, um, you know, but you have to go through quite a bit of effort to, to get the, the birds out of your, your wine grapes. Um, uh, at the High Chaparral, we use uh, um, we use uh, these uh, hawk kites, and they're they're uh, I order them on the internet, and they're they're basically kites that that look like a hawk in flight, and I suspend them over the vineyard with fishing line, and and uh, it it looks like a hawk, and to a certain degree that works. Um, some use uh, these machines, and we also have a a machine that, that puts out bird distress calls. And every every minute it puts out a distress call, and it, it, it seems to scare the birds, uh, thinking that there there's a predator in the vineyard. You know that that, that has a certain amount of, of range that it works in, but uh, really the 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 best way to keep the birds out of your vineyard is netting. You, you net the individual rows. It's unfortunately it's a, a lot of labor involved. Uh, a lot of uh, um, grief involved when this nylon, thin nylon netting is getting caught in everything, including the, the buttons on your shirt and, and um, every little snag that it can catch in the vineyard. But 
but once you do get it on, it, it is the um, the best way to keep the birds from decimating your your efforts. Okay. So um, yeah, and we do that at the at the high chaparral. We and and all the other vineyards uh, do that also. Okay, great. So are are you an organic grower? Yes, we're a hundred percent organic. Um, we. Um, um, you know, any additives uh, that we put in are, are organic as far as fertilizers. Uh, uh, we, we try to uh, uh, grow a cover crop uh, in between the rows, uh, um, get that started in late winter, early spring, and then once it gets mature, disc it in uh, as, a, as an additive. Uh, and I take it it's not mustard or foxtails. Oh, I'm no. sure there's a certain amount of it in there, but uh, so what? Uh, what do you use as a cover crop? Um, we've used uh, some different uh, um, varieties. You know, varieties that we used uh, one year. We used uh, we still use uh, buckwheat. We uh, we'll throw some uh, buckwheat out there, and it's a vigorous grower, and it, it's a nitrogen fixer. And uh, once it it uh, starts to die back, uh, we'll disc it into the soil, and it adds quite a bit of nitrogen, natural nitrogen, to the. That, that when it decays and the, uh, the the vines have a an opportunity to, to take that up but you know like I said uh, uh, um, wine grapes really don't need a lot of nitrogen They're, they they um, they do need some other additives like uh, phos phosphates and, and um, okay. and whatnot but uh, so some of the, the micronutrients maybe. yeah some micronutrients, but they don't need a lot of nitrogen, so they, okay. they, they like to struggle. They're very vigorous growers. So. so the more neglect, the happier they are, basically. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. you know. They do, they do require water up here, you know. There's, um, there's some of the vineyards up in, I, I know up in the central coast, they don't, uh, they don't irrigate or they irrigate very little. Um, but, you know, it, it, our summers are very dry and it can get very hot, so we we do irrigate, so we, we they don't take a lot of water. Uh, you know, typical plant only takes a few gallons every every few days. But um, if if they struggle too much, they're just not. You know, uh, there's there, there's different trains of thought on that. Some people really want that vine to struggle, so it produces a really thick skin grape that has more. That's much more tannic, and and others want want to get more of the production, so they they water more prolifically. So. Well, being a, a, a nano grower or a micro grower like yourself, you, you have that luxury of being able to experiment more so than a, a large vineyard that needs to have, you know, consistent tastes, uh, you know, over and over a year. year sure. Year. And, and you, you know, you, you have to weekly, uh, at least a couple times a week, monitor that, that irrigation. Um, it, it's certainly happened that um, I've neglected to go check on my emitters for some reason and suddenly I notice a row is struggling and uh, you know the, 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 the leaves are getting a, just a little bit more yellow than the other rows and I upon closer examination see that there's something has obstructed that line that's feeding that row or it's it's developed a leak somewhere and the water's not getting all the way down that row so you know but you know they, they recover very quickly but once once the 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 vine gets stressed, it can, it can kind of uh, stress it for the rest of the season. So. so drip irrigation is probably the easiest way to take care of them and, yes. and not do overhead sprinkling or anything No, you like can't. That. You, 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 drip irrigation is the only way because uh, grape is uh, uh, 
very susceptible to leaf rot. It's a, a fungus that, uh, that, that that grows on the leaves. If you do get it, it you know we, we you know late in, in the summer when the clusters are, are really developing um, is when it, it strikes when we, when we start to get that more humid uh, uh, tropical flow, the monsoonal flow here, and uh, if we get if we get quite a few thunder showers, the leaves will stay wet, and we really you know the, the leaf rot can really become an issue in which in, in which case we do treat the mines with the organic sulfur just elemental sulfur which tends to stop the the leaf rot but uh, okay. you know usually it doesn't get bad until the the grapes are just about ready to harvest so you know you, you try as long as possible to keep that sulfur off the off the vine Fika with Anika. This is KYC 97.1 Coyote Radio. Be aware that scammers are posing as Social Security Administration personnel and calling unsuspecting people on their cell phones. The recorded call informs them that their social security number has been suspended and they will lose their benefits unless they press a number to speak to a representative. These phone scammers threaten to block a person's social security number and seize their bank account. Here are some tips if you receive a call like this. The Social Security Administration will never call you to threaten your benefits or tell you to wire your money. Never give your social security number, bank account information, or credit card number to anyone that contacts you by phone. If you suspect a scammer, hang up and call the Social Security Administration toll-free number 1-800-772-1213 to verify the reason for contact. Hello KOYT listeners, this is Kevin Short from Anza Electric Cooperative and I'm here just to talk with you just a little bit about a, an opportunity that we have in our area with the help of the Riverside County Information Technology Department. We're giving away free refurbished computers uh, to income qualified individuals throughout our service territory. Right now we have 50 computers ready to go. We're working with KOYT Radio to make applications available for anyone that's interested in uh, obtaining a computer. So stop by the radio station, stop by the co-op, or uh, look us up online at anselectric.org. You're listening to KOYTLP. 97.1 Anza. Welcome back to Fika with Anika. All right, so at the end of the season and you're, you're ready to pick your, your grapes and, or you pick them, what's the next process? Is this like a Lucy moment? <laughs> when I see you, Amara and Brian it out there be. stomping. It can be, you know, it, it's, you know, you, you have to, uh, once the numbers are coming back good, you got good pH, you got good bricks, you got uh, good acids. Uh, you you have to get that uh, that that stuff harvested, you know, within a day or two. Oh, that yeah, quick. Within a day or two, yeah. It's uh, sometimes it's um, you know I'll, I'll 
take the day off work to, to, to harvest because the numbers are right or something. But uh, um, we take them, uh, we put them into bins, whole clusters, uh, run them through what's called a uh, crusher destemmer, which is a, a large uh, stainless steel contraption with a large bin on top. We actually uh, borrow the one from uh, Rancho del Sol. Uh, we, we, uh, the, the three of us, uh, Jordan Ranch Vineyards and the High Chaparral and, uh, and uh, Rancho del Sol uh, kind of rotate this machine around in, in a somewhat of a cooperative type of model. And uh, anyway, uh, the grape clusters are fed. Uh, they have a small paddle on top that feeds the clusters through uh, two neoprene rollers, which is crushes the grape. You don't want to, you're not necessarily trying to crush all the juice out of the grape. You're just trying to break the skin enough so that when fermentation happens, the, the yeast bacteria can get in there. The yeast can convert that sugar that's in that, in that grape to alcohol. So from there, the, the, the clusters are crushed and then it goes through a, a below the bin is a, what they call a destemmer and it has uh, paddles that rotate the clusters around uh, and the, the berries then fall through holes in a stainless steel grate and the um, the rest of the vine uh, then feeds through the machine and come out in, in, in a different uh, area where we compost that and and um, so we're, we're you know we're, we're, we're destemming it and you end up with mostly just crushed berries in a, in a vat, at which time we, um, after the whole process, we separate the different varietals and we, we ferment them all in their individual containers. And, um, you know, depending on how much you get, it can be uh, something, you know, a 55 gallon food grade barrel, or it could be a, a larger, you know, 150 gallon uh, um, food grade container that they, you know, um, that they ferment in. And um, we, at that time, uh, is the only time we add something that's uh, not entirely organic to the wine, but uh, you have to for preservation, and that's uh, sulfur dioxide. You add a small amount of sulfur, sulfur dioxide to uh, kill any of the native yeasts that are on there. Sometimes the native yeasts that are on the grape, uh, grape berries themselves can uh, give you certain flavors and tastes that you don't really want. You want to control the fermentation with cultured yeasts that you buy from the um, certain supply stores and, and certain different types of yeast will give you different types of flavors for different types of grapes. It's, it's really a, a kind of a complicated dance, but uh, at that point you let the berries soak for overnight on the sulfur dioxide. And then after that's dissipated, then you, um, then you mix in uh, whatever yeast that you want to use for that certain uh, um, for that varietal and then that's when fermentation starts and basically within about 24 hours uh, kind of looks like a witch's brew you know this uh, this cluster of grapes and juice starts kind of bubbling and and it starts producing co2 one of the uh, the uh, or carbon dioxide one of the uh, uh, side effects of the fermentation process is it's actually taking that sugar, taking CO2 off it and converting it to alcohol. So the CO, so the CO2 off gases 
and um, it has a tendency to collect inside the, the skin. So typically about twice a day you have to do what's called a punch down. You have to go with what's a, a, either a, something that looks like an ore with holes in it or a, a stainless steel rod with a, a food grade uh, a plastic disc on it and you have to push those skins down and mix them up so they, they don't float to the top and dry out and, and not give their color to the to the red wine if it is a red wine yeah if you're doing a white wine um, we don't do those at the high chaparral but i know what rancho del sol does you're basically pressing the the uh, skins you, you put it in after you've crushed the berries you put it in a large basket press you're squeezing the juice out of the, the grape immediately and then you ferment with with no skin present so that the fermentation process usually happens in a in a glass carboy or a, a or a stainless steel vat of some sort uh, with with no skins. So, so are, are you using the glass carboys, like the five gallon ones? We do. You we put do. A, yeah, a cork we, and a, a burping mechanism. Yeah, up? yeah. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So uh, you know, as the process goes, um, typically after about five to to, to ten days. The fermentation process stops because what happens is you actually produce enough alcohol that it actually kills the yeast. So okay. they, they kind of die in their own, you know, the alcohol is their waste product. So the fermentation process stops or if you want more residual sugar, you, you stop it prematurely by cooling the wine down, which also kills the yeast. If you want a little more of a sweeter wine, uh, we, we specialize in more of the drier wine. So we typically let the, uh, let the fermentation go all the way to the end. At that time, you then load the must, with, which is mostly alcohol now, and the skins into a basket press and then press the juice off the skins. From there, it goes into the, either a glass carboy or an oak barrel. Uh, this year, we're using small um, 15 and, and 20 gallon oak barrels. Okay. Um, and, you know, when I say we're a micro winer, <laughs> micro winer, we really are a micro winer. We, our total production this year is 60 gallons and it's strictly for personal use and, and friends and family and whatnot. So again, we're So out of 400 grape vines, you got that Yeah, out of 400 vines, we, we produced about 60 gallons of, mm -hmm. uh, of Oh, I take it some of them of were wine. newly produced, uh, planted, yeah. and they weren't ready to produce yeah, the grape we, clusters yet. Yeah, okay. you uh, typically, uh, you know, you don't start uh, uh, producing wine off of, off of a grapevine until after the third year. Three years you yeah, have to three wait? Year, three years, yeah, oh the third year. The, the, the first two years, you're typically, when it starts producing grapes, you typically uh, pinch those off or cut them off and just uh, let them drop on the ground because you want that plant for the first two years, you want it really to concentrate on growing its, its root structure and its vines. You want it to put its energy into the plant, not the grapes. Okay. So it can be at the, at the end of third year it's much more vigorous and produces a higher quality grade so. wow this is just fascinating yeah okay so you got the, uh, the you have the slurry uh and that you pressed it out and got rid of the, yeah, the must the skin okay yeah. and you got rid of the skins yeah now and so now it. we have a juice yes now we have well it's wine at this point it's actually it's not no longer juice it's wine it's it's but it's it, not clear no, it's not clear. Okay. It's not clear. So you have, you know, when you when you press the wine, you end up with um, you, you're getting most of the skin and the and the seeds out of it, but you know, a few do make it through, and you have the little bit of the pulp makes it into the wine. So 
at that point, um, you have to go through what's called the racking prior. Actually, uh, let me back up here. What we just what I just talked about was primary fermentation. So you have to go through uh, secondary fermentation. Okay. It's actually called the malolactic fermentation. Okay. So the primary fermentation is converting that sugar to alcohol. The secondary fermentation, which occurs in the vats off the off the, once you press it off the skins, is called malolactic fermentation, and it's 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 uh, turning the um, the harsher acids in in the wine to a, a malolactic acid, which is a, the same acid you find in milk, and it gives it a much smoother uh, taste in the in the mouth. So it's, it makes it not as harsh. So you actually have a, uh, a type of uh, bacteria. It's not a yeast, but it's a bacteria that you introduce into the wine at that point. Uh, and, and the wine undergoes malolactic fermentation. And uh, that's when you put on the, the stoppers and the, and the little bubblers so as to uh, let any CO2 that the, the, the bacteria are still producing out, but not let oxygen in at this point once it's wine. You want to keep it uh, minimal contact with with oxygen or the air, otherwise it oxidizes and you know, okay. and has a very poor flavor. So, um, malolactic uh, fermentation is typically anywhere from from uh, six to ten days. It can go longer. Just depends on you know the colder the weather is, the the slower the bacteria um, do their thing. Um, anyway, um, uh, typically after twenty days, it's they're complete. Uh, and at that time, you do a process which is called racking the wine. If, if you're using clear containers, you'll see that at the bottom of the, of the container it collects this um, kind of a light purple colored uh, sediment, which is typically pulp and bits of seed or maybe bits of skin that have made it through the, uh, the, the pressing process and they fall to the bottom. So what you have to do at that time is you do what's called the... Uh, the primary racking and you, you rack, you, you actually siphon just the wine, not this pulp that's fallen to the bottom, into another vessel and then you start the aging process. Uh, from there it's transferred uh, typically into an oak barrel and uh, you start the aging process, letting it uh, um, you know, pull out some of the flavors from the oak barrels and, uh, and you know, oak's very important um, in adding flavor to certain wines, mostly reds. It, uh, and it, so that's it the method softens. that you've chosen for your reds is the oak barrels. Yes. As yeah, compared well, to just putting them into a glass with a cork, <laughs> uh, uh, right? Well, it, most people, you know, you know oak bar barrels are very expensive. And uh, if you're just doing it as a hobby, people typically don't like to go to that step. But uh, um, this is our first first year in using oak barrels. and. Um, uh, and more specific, we're using French oak. There's different types of oak. There's uh, American oak, Hungarian oak, and French oak. And typically, French oak is most popular because of the the way the the uh, pore structure of the oak interacts with the wine. It it, it, it lets at this point you want to let a certain amount of oxygen contact the wine, but not too much at once, which helps kind of uh, the harsher tannins will. Uh, will, with a certain amount of oxygen, kind of form together to produce strands that become heavy enough to drop out of the wine, and they drop to the bottom. 
So it, it helps to smooth smooth the wine. Yeah, you're still getting, at this point, you're getting reactions in the wine that are uh, softening the tannins. The tannins are what give it the very uh, um, kind, of, kind of harsh taste sometimes. It, it, it would dry, dries your mouth out. Yeah, type. yeah, so, yeah. So. And uh, you know what we find up here in these elevations, you know, we're we're growing vines typically in the 4,000 to 4,500 foot range, and because we're at higher elevation, uh, our grapes produce uh, uh, quite a, bit, a few more uh, tannins. Um, the the grapes are a little thicker skin just because uh, they're exposed to a little just a little bit more ultraviolet light than grapes at a lower altitude because that that light. Just doesn't have to go through as much atmosphere, so they get a little bit more UV. So uh, they do, you know. That, but for reds, um, if you really like the deep dark reds, they produce a very deep dark purplish uh, uh, wine. Is what we're finding up here. But you know, but because of the the the, the greater production of tannins, we do have to age it a little longer and uh, get those tannins to drop out. Uh, but we're finding that the wines up here also produce more uh, polyphenols. Um, Polyphenols are—you've uh, heard of red wine being good for you, you know—and those, and those are those are the, the beneficial compounds in the wine that <clears throat> are good for your cardiovascular. So they're a little higher in poly polyphenols, um, uh, but again, you have to balance that with the overall structure of the wine. So. Um. Okay, so it's not a all just for your health. No, yeah, no, it's strictly for my health. It's strictly health. Uh, that's it's the only reason I, I make wine and, and drink wine is for my health. For your health, yes, yes. of course. Pika with Anika.